Good morning. We're very glad that you have uh, come here to this house of worship to give God the honor and the adoration that is due His name. This has been a difficult week for our nation. And as we look around and observe the violence and the hatred and the bloodshed, it's deeply disturbing to us. It's depressing to turn on the news. Uh, It makes us feel frustrated and sad. And it makes us feel helpless in many ways. What can we possibly do to help our nation uh, to fix these problems? And I admit to you, I feel helpless in the face of so much unrest. I don't know what we can do except to continue to pray for our country and to continue to love our neighbor as ourself and to show the world and our nation a better way by submitting to the values of the kingdom. The world, as it gets darker, needs us to be a brighter and brighter light. And the question is, are we up to, are we up to the task? Are we up to the challenge? That is our calling. That is what God wants us to do, expects us to do. He wants us to continue forward in faith, even when the going gets tough, and even when the news around us seems nothing but bad. But here's the thing, even though there's a lot of bad news in in the world today and in our country, we still have a lot to be thankful for. I'm thankful that our campers have returned home uh, from their wonderful week, from all accounts of being down at Camp Naoti. There were five baptisms uh, down there from various congregations, and we are so thankful for those souls who were added to the church. And I'm thankful for, and I know you are as well, for the leadership of Alex and Allison and all of our other adults who took our, uh, our group down there. Had a large group go, and they all made it back unscathed, and they survived the heat, and they had a really blessed week at Naoti. I'm thankful for the new arrival, um, the baby boy. I believe Frank accidentally said baby girl, but you know, in his defense, there are so many of those berry babies, it's hard to keep them all straight. You know, two in one week's time, a little girl and a little boy, and we are so thankful for uh, that they have arrived here safely, that they're healthy. We're thankful for all of our children, and we pray that they will all grow up to be faithful Christians. I'm thankful for this community. I'm thankful for this church family, and I'm thankful that we can gather together today to lift up the name of Jesus Christ, to thank God for giving us Jesus so that we can receive salvation and life and so that we can go throughout the rest of our days being covered by the blood of Christ that still cleanses us daily from our sins. We are working our way through the book of Philippians, and Philippians is a joyful book, a joyful letter. And we, the name of our series is Sunshine in My Soul. And we are tracking specifically this thread of joy and rejoicing that weaves its way through the entire letter. And this morning we are in Philippians chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 19. Uh, The first part of this text was read for us a few moments ago in a fine way by Chris. And I would encourage you Grab a Bible, go with me to the New Testament, open up to the book of 
Philippians, this letter of the Apostle Paul to the church at Philippi. And we're going to camp out this morning in Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. In this text, this text is different than the ones that we have encountered so far. In that it, in that it is sort of a look behind the scenes. A glimpse under the hood. The, the inner workings of Paul's ministry to this church. Paul, in this section of the letter, he tells the Philippian Christians that he really is hoping to send Timothy to them very soon. Timothy, his protege, this young minister that he has mentored. Timothy, who he says is genuinely concerned for their their welfare. Timothy, who has proven himself a worthy servant of the gospel. Timothy, who, as Paul says, is like a son to him in the faith. And Paul says, in addition to Timothy, I'm hoping to come to soon too. If I can get all this imprisonment stuff worked out, I want to come to Philippi. That's the first place I want to go when I get out of jail. But what he also says in this section is that he is definitely going to send, and here's another name I'm going to drop on. You got to keep these three straight this morning, okay? Paul, Timothy, this is the hardest one, Epaphroditus, okay? Can we say that together on three? One, two, three. Epaphroditus, It's not a name we hear very often today. You don't see many parents naming their son Epaphroditus. Uh, But Epaphroditus was from Philippi. He was a hometown boy. Paul says he was their messenger to him, their minister to him. And Paul says, I am sending him back to you. And here's why. Epaphroditus, in the course of his working with Paul, became gravely ill. Uh, was at the point of death, thought that he would die. The Philippians got word. They were deeply distressed that their friend and their brother in Christ was ill. And so Paul says, I am sending him back to you. He's itching to get back to you because he wants to show you that now he's just fine. God has been merciful. God has brought healing. He's restored Epaphroditus's health. And in doing so, Paul says, he has saved me from sorrow upon sorrow. I would have been devastated if my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, Epaphroditus, had been taken from me. So God has not only been merciful on Epaphroditus, he's been merciful on me. And now I am eager to send him back to you. And I know when this courageous servant of Christ gets home, it will be a joyful reunion. So that is what our text is about. That is a summary of verses 19 through 30. And you may look at that and you may say, well, that's all very interesting to me. That's some fascinating housekeeping stuff that Paul shares in his letter. And I'm interested to see the inner workings of his ministry. But really, that has little bearing on my life as a 21st century believer. That doesn't have a whole lot to do with how I am supposed to live as a Christian in this day and age. And so as we read through Philippians, a lot of times we would read that pretty swiftly. We'd gloss over it and we'd move on because this is light on doctrine. And we might say there's just not a lot of sermon material here. But I would say to that, not so fast. Because sometimes items of Great worth can be found in unexpected places. In 1989, a Pennsylvania man was shopping at a flea market. 
And he bought a frame with a little painting in it for $4. He didn't even like the painting. It was a dark, dismal country scene. And so when he got he just liked the frame. He wanted to use the frame. So when he got home, he discarded the painting. Well, then he looked at the frame, and it was poorly made, and it was beyond repair. So he threw that away too. But in the course of taking this frame apart, a little piece of paper fell out from the backside. And he opened it up. And it was a copy of the Declaration of Independence. And it looked old to him. He thought maybe this is even an early 19th century copy. And uh, so early 1800s. So he thought, I'm just going to keep it, you know, for curiosity's sake. A few months go by. He shows it to a friend. The friend says, I think you ought to get this checked out. And so he contacts Sotheby's Auction House in New York City. And Sotheby's sends somebody to come and look at it, and they are astounded because they determined that this was an original copy of the Declaration of Independence. It was printed on the evening of July 4th, 1776. Only one of 26 copies survived, and the the estimated value given this document over 20 years ago by Sotheby's was between $800,000 and a million dollars. All from a little $4 painting that he bought. As we look at our passage, we may want to compare it to just a cheap painting that doesn't really have much value. But if we look closer, we can see that these travel plans, these inner workings concerning Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, they are of great worth. And here's why. Because they give us an opportunity to observe and to emulate some of the earliest devoted Christians. We can look at this passage and by reading between the lines a bit and by witnessing how these men lived and behaved in order to please God, they can be our mentors. We can follow their example. And as you know, the best mentors are the ones who do more showing than telling. And in this passage, we are shown how these guys lived. And we have an opportunity to follow in their footsteps. You know, they say that more is caught than taught when it comes to the Christian faith. When it comes to learning from mature believers. We all know that a Christianity that is professed but not practiced, that isn't something that you can pass down to your kids. They will not inherit that. They'll be able to see through that. They'll see that you're a Christian in name only. You're a nominal Christian. And by the way, that really is an an oxymoron. Those do not go together. But if you claim that you're a Christian and yet you're unwilling to submit to the lead of the Father and to give your life over to Him and to live in such a way as to show that that's the case, then you're not going to be able to make an impact on your children or anybody else. Christianity is more caught than taught. Certainly there are teachings that are involved in the passing on of our faith, but those teachings have to be backed up by faithful lifestyles. And when we look at this passage, we see three preachers, three missionaries who actually lived the faith. And we can look at them, and there's plenty to catch here. They show us the way. So what is it that they show us? What can be caught from them. How can we follow their example? Well, I want to share with you just three examples from each of these men 
that I think are worthy of emulating today uh, in our lives as believers in this day and age. From Timothy, in our passage, we learn about having a sincere concern for the spiritual welfare of others. That's the lesson here from Timothy. That's what we can catch from his life of faith. What Paul says in a nutshell here is that this guy, Timothy, he is different. In fact, Paul says in verse 20, I have no one like him. There's nobody else like this guy. While everybody else is looking out for themselves, is interested in advancing their own agenda, Timothy is genuinely concerned for you the Christians in Philippi. And in this way, he is a great example of what Paul said back in verses 3 and 4 of Philippians 2. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but to the interest of others. Paul says Timothy actually lives that. He is sincerely concerned for your welfare. He's thinking more about you than he is himself. He's not in this for himself. He's not looking out for his own interests. He is different. He seeks the interests of Jesus Christ. When people look at us, when people look at you, do they say, she's different? He's different. He's not concerned about advancing his own interests. He really, truly, sincerely is concerned about other people. She genuinely cares for the welfare and for the spiritual health of her brothers and sisters in Christ. You may say, everyone else uses me for their own agenda. I feel like people are not really looking out for me. They don't really have my back. They say they're my friends, but I don't sense that they truly deeply care, but she is genuinely concerned. For me, he really cares about me. They are different. You know, people like that, they are, they are few and far between. And I would even say that Christians like that are few and far between. I drove over to Lynchburg yesterday and I went to the visitation of our sister Ruth Hill, the grandmother of Carrie Rogers and Christy Rogers, by all accounts, a faithful generous woman throughout her life. Carrie said to me, she's thankful that Ruth is now in the, or her nano is now in the presence of her Savior, that she was ready to go home. And the family is certainly relieved in that way. But Carrie said, what I really grieve is that it seems to me that we have lost a certain kind of person, that she seemed to be sort of the last of a certain kind of person who was generous, hospitable. She would always be taking people in who needed a place to stay. If a traveling preacher or song leader was coming through town, they would be welcomed in. There was always plenty of food on the table. Welcoming, generous, giving, selfless. Carrie said, I feel like that kind of person just doesn't exist anymore. And that ought to make us a little bit sad, but it also should cause us to be challenged. And we should ask ourselves, who's going to rise up and fill the void of saints like that? Of sisters like that? Who who is going to fill her shoes in this day and age? 
Who's going to be the person in our age who is genuinely concerned about other people? About the faith and the welfare of other people? Who among us will be the next Ruth Hill? Who among us will be the next Timothy? And people would say when they're speaking about us, he's different, she's different. I have, there's nobody else like that person. They really deeply care about others. That's what we can catch from Timothy in this passage. That's what we ought to emulate. We ought to be challenged to rise up and to replace saints like that and to lead lives like that. That's what we can learn from Timothy. But what about from Epaphroditus? Epaphroditus, we can learn in this passage several things, but the one that I want to pinpoint is his longing to be in the presence of fellow Christians. Yes, he sacrificed a lot for the cause of Christ. Yes, he almost died serving Christ. We could talk about that, but I want us to talk about how Epaphroditus was itching to get back home so that he could be in the presence of his brothers and sisters in Christ, his church family. You see, he almost died, and his family heard about it, but God was merciful, and now he wants to go back so that they can see that he's just fine, and Paul knows that there will be much rejoicing at his homecoming, and from the example of Epaphroditus here, what we can learn is this. The church is family. We feel sorrow together, and we rejoice together. At least that's the way it ought to be. We Bear one another's burdens, as Paul says in Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. And we also glory in one another's successes. Can you say about the church, these are my people? You ought to be able to say that. That should be your goal. That should be the destination that you are hoping to arrive at someday. To say about your brothers and sisters in Christ, about the church, these are my people. Not the people you ran around with in high school. Not the people that you were in a club with in college. Not the people that you work with. Not the people that you work out with. Not the people that you hang out with around town. But the church, your brothers and sisters in Christ, these are my people. And I long to be in the presence of my family. God wants this to be the primary source of relationships in our lives. Do you desire to be with your brothers and sisters? You know, I think this is where our young people can really be instructive to us. Because I think our youth, I think they get this at a deeper, baser level than the rest of us do sometimes. I saw them, they rolled in from camp on Friday. A lot of them couldn't talk. They were hoarse. They were worn out. They were hot. They were sweaty. And I thought, you know, if that was me, I'd want to get home. I'd want to get in my bed. And I want to say to everybody else, leave me alone. I've been with you all week. I've shared a cabin with you. I've smelled you. I've had enough of you. But you know what they did, at least some of our older students? They got home from camp. They got in their cars and they went out to eat together. After a whole week of being together. Because they get it. They know that these are their people. And they wanted to be together. They can teach us something about this. And let me say something else while we're flying over here. If someone in this church family, just a little piece of advice, and I'm trying to take this too. If somebody invites you over to their home to eat, go. You may not want to go. You may think you're too busy. 
There's a lot of stuff going on. You got to get ready. There's no time in the schedule. Just go. Because eating together with people from your church family in homes, that can, that can transform an entire relationship. I'm not going to tell you who, but a wonderful, sweet couple had us over to eat a couple weeks ago. We've been going to church here for nine years. And so I've known this couple for nine years. And I've seen them out in the church lobby for nine years. And we've been polite to one another and we've greeted each other cordially. But when we went into their home, when you get in somebody's home, you start to, you hear their story. You start to understand them better and experience part of their life. And so... Now, the, now when I see them in the lobby or around church, there is a different, there's a deeper relationship there. And we don't just greet each other cordially. We smile and we hug and we ask how the other's doing. It really changes things when you get together with people in their home. It can deepen your relationships with people in your church family. It can increase your longing and your desire to be together. It is a great blessing. And I know we used to have the meals ministry that for now is no more, but a lot of you still invite people over. And we do have the bread pairings that, you know, are matched up quarterly. There's still many opportunities for us to get together with one another in our homes. There's always room to grow in this area. I see that you're here this morning, and it's because obviously you have a desire to be with your church family. But there's always room for improvement, because some of you are here this morning, but you haven't gotten plugged into a Sunday school group, a Sunday school class. Or you haven't ever come with us on a Wednesday night and been to a Bible class then. Or maybe you have been saying no to people when they invite you into their home for a meal. Um, There is room for growth and room for improvement for us all in this way. Okay, lastly, so from Timothy we learn about having a sincere, genuine concern for the spiritual welfare of others. From Epaphroditus, a longing to be in the presence of God's people. And from Paul, what do we learn? A constant awareness of the presence and the will of God. Paul's language, Paul's life is just saturated with God. He says he's going to send Jesus if, excuse me, he's going to send Timothy to the Philippians if it's Jesus' plan. He'll be right on Timothy's heels on his way there if it's God's will. For Epaphroditus' healing, he gives God the credit. And when he says, when Epaphroditus comes to you, Philippian church, receive him in the Lord. Paul lived in step with God's activity. Paul was attuned to the God who works in all of us to will and to work for his good pleasure, as Paul says in Philippians 2.13. Paul wanted to work in concert with God and his will and his activity in the world. And as he says in Galatians 5.25, if we live by the Spirit, let us walk by the Spirit. If you claim to have the Spirit living in you, which you can as a baptized believer, you do have the Spirit in you, you better keep in step with it. You better be walking by it. Don't just claim it and then refuse to submit to it. With Paul, we see somebody who says, I have the Spirit living in me, and I want the Spirit to guide me through my life. As Jesus says in John chapter 15, verse 5, apart from me, you can do what? Nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. 
So do you practice His presence like Paul? Do you seek to walk by His will day by day? These are some things that I want to catch from these first century believers, from Paul, from Timothy, from Epaphroditus. There are a lot of characteristics and traits in people that I don't want to catch. I don't want you to give that to me. But these are some that I, I want to follow in their footsteps. I want, to, I want to have what they have. And once I do, I want others to be able to catch it from me. I want people to look at me and see somebody who has a sincere concern for them. I want people to look at me and see somebody who longs to be in the presence of his brothers and sisters in Christ. I want people to look at me and see somebody who's deeply concerned with following the will of God day after day after day. I want them to catch it from me. That's Paul's goal. Paul himself says that he wants this church, all Christians, to follow in the footsteps of these believers. In Philippians, a little later in the book, chapter 3, verse 17, he says, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example that you have in us. Keep your eyes on those faithful believers. Catch what they have so that you can begin to live like them. So their example in this text is very valuable. It's not something just to be tossed out with the trash. It is deeply, uh, it has deep worth. And my challenge for you is to follow the example. And your example to younger believers is very valuable as well. What are you sharing with them? What are you showing them? What can they catch from you? This morning, we offer the invitation We ask if there's anyone here who has yet to put on Jesus Christ and baptism to please come and make that happen. Five precious souls were added to the kingdom this past week at camp. And this morning, we want to add more because we know there are people in our audience who have yet to confess Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior and who have yet to go down into that watery grave dying to their sins and coming up a new person ready to walk in newness of life. Or if you have any other spiritual needs today that you need to make known, that you need prayers for and encouragement offered, this is the time for you to come as well. And we have two elders in the conference room who are more than happy to meet with anybody who needs to talk, who needs prayers. They'll be posted out there immediately following our morning worship. Do you have a spiritual need today? Why don't you come and make it known while we stand and sing?